Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everstock Joby, joined in studio today by Windy City Bulls forward, eight-year professional, White Station's finest, the man who's been bald since birth. <laughs> you can find him at underscore Farrakhan, my main main, Farrakhan Hall. What's up, brother? What's going on, E? Hey, man, why you on there wear a shirt on your Instagram pages and stuff, man? What's going on with that? Hey, it's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> I see people always posting, you know, you got a shirt on, you walk around. It's, uh, it's not for you, man. Hey, I work hard, man. Hey, man, you be in the gym, get it in, huh? Yeah, I got to show it off, man. You work hard, you got to show it. <laughs> you been working hard these days? You know, how everything treating you? Everything's good, man. I've been working hard for a while now, but, you know, it, it kind of pays off. It's been paying off over time, so. Yeah, the shirt off picks, they going to keep coming. Well, I got it. <laughs> it's wintertime. I see you walking around with no shirt on, even in Chicago. It doesn't matter. We inside somewhere getting it in. But nah, I had to chill on the shirt off picks. Some of my friends, they tell me, man, you, you always got your shirt off. So I, I, could, I throw a shirt on every now and then. <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, just some recent news real quick before we get into uh, some of your, your backstory and some of your history and what you got going on. Uh, we have some recent news with the passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi, amongst others, in a, a horrible, horrible uh, helicopter crash in yeah. California. Um, as somebody who's grown up in this generation, you know, kind of post Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. now in that Kobe Bryant generation, what has Kobe meant to you and uh, people of your age, you know, coming up in the game? Man, you know, Kobe basically defined being a professional basketball player. He taught everybody how to be a pro. You know, from explaining, waking up at 3.30 in the morning so he can be at the gym by 4, get two extra workouts before everybody. And he, he was the one who I tried to pattern working out in the summer times after and just uh, the whole mumble mentality. Before he put a name on it, we kind of, I kind of, you know what I'm saying, gripped onto what he was saying. So, man, Kobe meant a lot, like, as far as just, like, his tenacity and going out there and playing. He was always, you know what I mean, trying to win and, and doing what he could. So, you know, everybody, man, you you shoot a a a, a, a shot into the trash bag, trash can. You Kobe every time. <laughs> so he, man, it's a legend. And I can't even really, not to cut you off, but I can't really even believe it. Like, I can't even fathom it. You know what I'm saying? It's like some people you don't even realize. Like when I my brother texted me, he was like, Kobe just died. I'm like, Kobe who? That's the same thing I said. My brother texted me, too. like, Kobe who? Like, y'all lying. Stop lying. That's what I'm saying. It's like, man, it's bigger than Superman being paralyzed or when uh, the lady uh, Princess Diana right. had a car crash. It's it's huge to me. You know what I'm saying? As a, as a basketball fan, as a Kobe Bryant fan, a basketball fan, I I, can't, I I still can't put my mind around it. I remember a few weeks ago I interviewed uh, Yon Mahimi from the Washington Wizards, and we talked about um, what he do post his basketball career because he has three daughters and you know, just seeing the pictures and the Instagram stuff with Kobe and his daughter and, like, they're traveling around the world and traveling around the country, supporting the women's game and supporting the game in general. I thought that was, a, you know, very, very touching, you know, just to talk to somebody who's currently in the NBA and just, you know, what his thoughts were about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
it's I mean, and we leave kind of leaving out his daughter passed away too. Yep. And there was another family in there and another young young lady too. So I mean, he was all for uh, advocating for women and young women to do well and I'm kind of the same way, so I can I can definitely relate. So let's switch over to a more positive note. So the name Farrakhan, you know, how did how did your parents get that name? Was they, you know, Black Panther Party back in the day, or you know, you know, put the fist in the air. Nah, uh, if, you know, how did how did the name Farrakhan come about? If I gotta be completely honest, man, my father, I'm not Muslim. Everybody always asks if, I, if I'm I Muslim. never, I never think that because your last yeah, name's Hall. Exactly, <laughs> but some people they just hear the name Farrakhan and they automatically think it's my last name. But okay, my uh, my dad was incarcerated um, when I was born, and he followed Minister Louis Farrakhan uh, for a long Farrakhan for a long time uh, while he was. Uh, in prison and that's just what he that's that's the name he wanted to name me like he, he felt like that was a strong name and that nobody would forget it and that's very true so it kind of it's, it's it's been a good thing for me growing up did you have any kids tease you about your name or like you know all the time <laughs> <laughs> all the time Farrah Jaka they call me <laughs> all the time like people just be like what so I tell if I tell a, if I were to tell a grown person my name is Farrakhan they'd be like what why your parents do that to you <laughs> but they never forget it though man yeah I, I kind of similar because my name is unique Everest yeah. and people always ask me growing up are you named after a mountain you know are you you know how'd your parents come to that name so I can kind of yeah that's see tough you... though it's the highest mountain in the world <laughs> you know what I'm saying that's tough but I never understood it until I, I started to break down my name and being Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is my nickname, but Pharaoh being a maid of iron. And mm. then Khan is just being someone who is witty and understanding of, you know, saying a, a bunch of different things. But once I understood the meaning of my name, it kind of gave me personality, you know what I mean? So that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So you like to. The king of the kings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. So you yeah. the, are you are you the the king of Memphis? Am I the king of Memphis? There's, nah, a, there's, a, there's a lot of those there's king of Memphis out there. <laughs> they got they got plenty of self proclaimed king of Memphis. Nah. When you hear about Memphis, you know because you're from Memphis, you're one of White Station's most recognizable players. You played University of Memphis. People outside of the city only hear about Bill Street and uh, Graceland and the University of Memphis. Mm -hmm. You know barbecue. You know what more about Memphis can you tell people that have never been there have only heard about those things man I can't really you know you can't really put your finger on it but the neighborhoods in the city of Memphis the different neighborhoods are, are a lot like other places just like a, a Watson uh, you can compare Orange Mound or different parts of South Memphis to the same way that a Watts would be or what uh, Brooklyn mm -hmm. it's just like a, a, a really tight knit community you know what I mean unfortunate things happen um, it may get a bad reputation, but for the most part, it's all it's like a brotherhood from whatever neighborhood you're from. So, yeah, a lot of people love to go to Bill Street and Bill Street, Elvis Presley's house, Graceland, stuff like that. But it's more about the community, the, the way that we are. Like I, I mean, I might have been a my first word might have been Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Maine, hey. What is a Maine? A like, Maine? what is a Maine? Like, a, a, the first time I heard Maine, I thought somebody was saying Main Street, <laughs> M-A-I-N, but then it's almost like uh, the John, like yeah. people in Philly say John, like, yeah. what's a John? Like, John could be anything, a person, place, a thing. So, nah, like, what's a Maine? Maine is absolutely anything. Maine is, it could be past, present, the future. <laughs> it could be anything. Like, if I get mad, right, if I'm in the game, and the referee bad call, 
I'm not gonna curse. I'm man, man. <laughs> <laughs> or some, or or like today, man, 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 man. You know what I'm saying? So like or dead man or you know what I mean? Any like anybody, anything could be a man. <laughs> man, don't run that stoplight, man. Yeah, all that. So, so was Hustle and Flow a perfect depiction of the city of Memphis? It was, man. It, it's funny you ask because when it first came out, uh, people in Memphis like, like, we don't talk like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I went to the AAU Nationals, and we were playing against a, a team from California in the national championship game. And the whole time, it's like they purposely were mocking us by using – uh, slang from the Hustle and Flow mu- movie, and we was just, man, it just pissed us off. <laughs> they said they constantly saying, "Hey, man," and it just sounds so lame. <laughs> it's like, bro, we don't even talk like that. Man. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it was. But looking back on it, it was a perfect description. I mean, a perfect. Um, it was. It it just showed us. It showed our our character. Like that's a big thing. Like the whole movie about the pimping and just like the grind of coming up from nothing. Like that's how it is. What's your favorite barbecue place? Uh, I like A&R barbecue. A&R barbecue. Everybody yeah. talk about, uh, what's that place? Rendezvous. Rendezvous. That's, that's, you know what I mean? That's the touristy spot. Okay. What a, a- what a hood spot. Yeah. I'm telling you, A&R barbecue. Uh, you got plenty of different spots, but see, I'm from South Memphis. So by the, by Hamilton high school. So it's right there. And that that's kind of where I grew up going to a Tops barbecue. Ooh, okay. Yeah, Tops, but there's plenty of places, man. You got all type of barbecue in Memphis. Tell people about Ching's Wings. Ching's Wings, <laughs> my guy Lafayette. Um, man, I grew up in I grew up going to uh to Ching's. So basically, my high school White Station was right around the corner from Ching's, and like you go to White Station, you got a lifetime supply of Ching's. <laughs> <laughs> you got Ching's, they go they go hook you up, and then especially at the University of Memphis, like that was our meals mm-hmm. after practice. You go over to the Ching's. It means they, the trainers over at, at Memphis used to hate that we go over there. And mm-hmm. eat, you know what I'm saying? Or we get it pregame, or whatever. But yeah, they show a lot of love. Growing up, a uh, kid in Memphis, you mm-hmm. end up going to White Station High School. How did you end up at Seton Hall from Memphis, Tennessee? Man, Seton Hall from Memphis, Tennessee. It's crazy. My my uh the guy who recruited me there, his name was Scott Adubato. Uh Scott was he is from Jersey. He played ball. His dad actually coached for the Magic. And he um he coached at Seton Hall. They had a crazy my head coach was crazy. <laughs> Bobby Gonzalez. I love him to this day. I don't talk to him. But man, he was one of them us against the world type coaches and he just loved I was the only freshman. So they came to my game, uh um, we played against Wooddale, and, and at the time it was Wooddale High School. At the time, they were like no, known for holding the ball, like the whole game. Like they would put come across half court and just hold it. So I scored two points. Damn! I scored two points the whole game, and I got an offer right after the game. Wow! You know what I'm saying? So I felt like they were really into me. And then, really, man, me and my mom, we went to New York, New Jersey, to visit for the first time, and that was me and her first time going to. The big city, you know mm. what I'm saying. So when we got up there, we landed on the plane. She see the skyline. She like, I think this is it. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, the plane. Yeah, off of that, we went to this nice restaurant in uh in uh in uh, I think it's called Hoboken. And uh, she was like, Yeah, I, I really think that I think you should do it. So okay, you know what I'm saying. But it it was a good choice. Growing up, so, a, a kid hooping, a high school kid hooping in Memphis, is it the majority kids dream to play at the University of Memphis and. If you don't get recruited by that, like how much of a letdown is it from mm-hmm. your family and city and people, you know, OGs in the hood and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff? Man, 
me growing up, my brother was a big University of Memphis basketball fan. So I automatically became a University of Memphis basketball fan. So I think that's more of an inner city thing. The guys from outside of the city, like suburbs like Germantown and Cordova, yeah, Cordova and those type, Barlett, I don't think they necessarily look at it that way. Mm. But when you're from the inner city, like going to the University of Memphis means the world. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the top of the top. So when I went away and went to Seton Hall, part of the reason why I went away was because one of my other offers was to go to UAB. Mm. And they were really interested. But that was Memphis's like rival in mm. Conference, Conference right? USA back then. So I'm like. I'm not going to go there because I know I want to really go to Memphis. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I went to Seton Hall, and then I knew that I was going to transfer my sophomore year. Mm. So I woke up at like 6 a.m., went to the coach's office like, Coach, I want to transfer. And I transferred, boom, and committed to the University of Memphis. How'd that process work? Like you just – well, they had a spot open or you already knew you was going to go? Like how yeah. did that work? Yeah, they had a guy, uh, Andrew Garcia, he went pro. Mm. Uh, and at the time, it was only one other forward ahead of me uh, on their team. Uh, his guy's name was Wesley Willispoon, and I love Spoon, but he a little soft, so I knew I could take <laughs> his spot. <laughs> but uh, Andrew Garcia went pro, and when the spot opened up, they had a crazy freshman class. Will Barton, Joe Jackson. We had Charles Carmooch, Chris Crawford, Tariq Black, who played for the Lakers. Just a bunch of guys. And I was like, man, I want to be a part of that. Because these are the guys I grew up playing against. Mm. And now they going against the rest of the, you know what I'm saying? In my mind, the rest of the world. Like, it's Memphis versus everybody. So I wanted to come on and be a part of it. And Joe called me and asked me to be a part of it, too. So I, I, I made it happen. So what was it like when the first time you put that blue and gray on and stepped yeah. out in the FedEx form in yeah. front of 18,000? What was that like? That was awesome, man. Our first time, my first time playing my first game back was December 17th. I'll never forget, December 17th, I think it was 2011, and uh, we played against Louisville. Big it, rivalry game. Big rivalry game at Louisville. And and at the time, we were wearing the throwback jersey. Coach Passman was on a trip. He <laughs> took our he took our names off the back of our jerseys. Yeah, I, I, I seen that with my old two hours at, before. <laughs> exactly, you know. At the time, he took our names off the back of our jerseys, so we were wearing the old throwbacks. They were big and droopy, but, man, we was <laughs> out there fighting like we we tried to go at them. With the old throwback, those are the the dark navy blue with the red cursive on yep, the front. Yep. Oh yeah, them that was, was hard. Yeah, that was hard. That was my first game back. I never forget that. Wow. Yeah. So when you got a chance to play in the FedEx form in front of your family, what was that like? My first game. That that's a whole different feeling. Like playing in the form at that time because of the expectations. Everybody expected you to be like super, like superstar athlete, pro. So everybody would just they would kind of just like stare. In the, in the gym like nobody would really be up you know you see how like at Duke like everybody's standing and mm. get that college atmosphere you would even get that at Seton Hall or in Big East schools but there at University of Memphis it was like you were a professional and everybody was there to spectate being at home in front of everybody and then you just know you got all those eyes on you it was just like man this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> you know so you could just feel you could almost feel the hate and you can feel the love if you do good but you miss a layup you know what I'm saying miss a free throw Memphis, man, it's rough. Walking around in the city of Memphis, from Memphis, and playing for Memphis, y'all were like gods out there. Y'all were like, yeah. you know. I heard one point in time that y'all were more famous than the Grizzly players. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, obviously we didn't have more money than them, but we were definitely more famous because it's, it's like that. Like I said, when you grow up inner city Memphis, everything is about the University of Memphis. Everybody around there bleed blue. Being there, when we got to, when I got to playing for them, it was like my celebrity in the city kind of just heightened. I'm on the news. All these older people, they they know who I am. And, mm. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it definitely is different. You know, you get a lot of love from all over the city. Everywhere we go, 
you got meals, whatever. I mean, I can't really say that. Man, you can't now. But, <laughs> but like, you go out. You know what I'm saying? I remember one time we went out to this this spot. It was a it was a uh, it was a party going on, and uh, at the time Jeezy had a song, and it was like win, 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 win. <laughs> yeah. So we all up there on the stage, like <laughs> performing the song, basically in the whole club. This is a thousand people at least in the club, just looking at us like, yeah, I can win. <laughs> Man, listen, that was it was dope. Give me some cool stories from behind the scenes of the Memphis days, like that you can share. Give me a, some a cool, let's say, like, uh, uh, give me a good, a cool story, then you, uh, maybe a not so cool story. A cool story, I can't really. I mean, I know you got plenty of them. I uh, mean, we had, we had a, we had a, what you call it, eclectic group. <laughs> we, had a, we had a different type of group of guys, but man, I remember one time when Yo Gotti pulled up to our house. What? Yeah, he pulled up to our to our nine man unit. So hold, on, so for people that don't know. I was a strength coach at University of Memphis a few years after uh, Farrakhan left the program. So on campus at the University of Memphis, the men's basketball, they have their own kind of like condo, townhome type of thing. And it's a nine-man unit that um, all the guys share. They have a kitchen, it's like multi-floors. Uh, they have a big uh, media room in there with like the stadium uh, seats, like what yeah. you see like at a movie theater. Just kind of picture an apartment complex with uh, this huge – multi-story townhouse looking thing for the basketball players living yeah. all right go ahead with the story yeah and and matter of fact when we when my year was the first year that they built that mm, okay the, the stadium seating with the big uh with the big screen the big uh what you call it uh I forget, projector screen, screen. Yeah. yeah it was man that was crazy and we had all type of dudes coming through squatters right, give, give me the yoke oh yeah well. <laughs> I was gonna ask you that second. I mean, you know, y'all live in the way y'all. I never had you had a bunch of hanger ons, a bunch, of, especially the, for you being from Memphis. Yeah, yeah. Well, me, I'm I'm more of a. I'm, I kind of always been like a long wolf, so I don't really have a lot of hanger ons. I don't really have like a big entourage like that. Like I got I got a big family, but my family, my cousins are older, so they never really hung around me like that. But yeah, we definitely had guys who would come and should we embrace them. You know what I'm saying? If if they want to come around, we are gonna show them love. You know what I mean? I remember that, and that that was a that was a big part of us because we kind of kept the city with us, so never made people feel like outsiders or standoffish. So Yo Gotti pulls up. Yeah, Yo Gotti pulled up, man. It was crazy. He pulled up every car he pulled up in was Porsche. He had the Ky- Porsche Cayenne. I forgot what else he had. I feel like I think it was a Rolls Royce, but he definitely pulled up. He was stunned on college kids. <laughs> <laughs> And I just remember being out there like, man, he pull up like this. <laughs> but, and he had to get through the gate. Like, there was a gate yeah. in the front. So, yeah, they pulled up like four cars deep. Wow. He was get out and chop it up with y'all. Get out and chop it up. And we used to have all type of artists over there. Like, at the time, he was actually in like a little feud with some other artists in the city. And they were coming over to our house, too. Man, we had <laughs> every, anybody over there. Was Dolph Dolph then or nah, pre, pre-Dolph? Dolph, as a matter of fact, I met Dolph outside of a, a, a club one time. Man, he was super fresh, and he handed me his mixtape. Mm. And so I'm looking at the mixtape, I'm like, this dude, clean, man. I'm going to pop this in. I'm going to see what he's talking about. And I turned it on. He had one of my favorite songs all the time, Blessed. And right then, I was like, you know what? I like this dude. Like, I'm going to rock with him. And I don't know where he blew up. I played this song at our Midnight Madness, mm. and uh, he definitely, like, he blew up, man. There's so many dudes from Memphis out right now. Mm-hmm. You, as a Memphis guy, you feel like a sense of pride having these dudes out. And when you listen to that music, do you feel like that speaks to you? Yeah, definitely. That's our culture. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like the way we talk at the end of the day. So people people identify with it. Like, when I go to other other cities or whatever, they, like, 
people love the way that I talk. It makes me feel like I can be myself. You know what I'm saying? Like normally I would go somewhere or like it used to be you go somewhere, you try to switch up. You know what I'm saying? You try to fit in. If I'm in L.A., then I don't want to sound too ghetto or hood. But because of the way that Memphis artists are accepted, now I can be myself and and people just understand, like, this is where I'm from now. I mean, I'm a bad person. Like, obviously, I got intellect. I'm smart. But that that's it, it's a good feeling. So you uh, leave University of Memphis. You get opportunity. You go undrafted in 2013. Take us through that process of, you know, a guy, you know, who has such athletic skills, mm-hmm. you know, your height, your versatility, to go through that process of finding an agent and then end up, Say, for example, going overseas, trying to go to summer league training camp. What's that process like? Man, so at the time when I came out of, of, of school, I really didn't I didn't do well my senior year. I played, but we had so many guys on our roster that it was just like my role, it wasn't that great of a role. So going into that summer, I had friends that were getting ready to go into summer league and getting ready to they got that were trying to be drafted or whatnot. And I just had to just embrace it, you know, at the time. I was accepting that I wasn't going to be a draft pick, so I was hustling, trying to make sure I had money to take care of my daughter and stuff like that, but at the same time, staying focused on basketball. And then uh, I got an opportunity um, after that in, like, August to go and play in Denmark and start my professional career there. So guys coming up thinking that the NBA is the end-all, be-all. You know, at that particular time, you were going to Denmark Mm -hmm. and going outside of – the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, what was your family and friends' thought process of that particular situation? Man, it's something that I don't think anybody that uh, anybody can understand until unless they're an athlete and they're a basketball player and they have to go through it and prevail. Like nobody, could, like nobody in my family ever played basketball before, you know, or never tried to pursue professional basketball or even college or even high school. I think so. They couldn't really get it. They weren't against it. But they didn't really support, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just more like they had my back. You gonna go do that? Okay, cool. You know what I mean? But it's a real world side to it, to where you got responsibilities. You're a man now, so whatever you gonna do, you need to do it to the to your fullest. And at the time, so I was, like I said, at the time, like right when college was finishing up after our season, I was throwing parties, trying to make things happen that way. And then when I got the opportunity to go overseas, I did. And unfortunately, I broke my hand in my first game. Mm, I wow. broke, my, broke my right hand, my shooting hand. And, man, it was crazy. I was killing my first game. I had like 16 points the first quarter. And I broke my hand in the first quarter. And then the team cut me. They sent me back home. Damn. So I had to get a job at the bank, the Bank of Barlett. Boy, that boy was a 6'8". 6'8". 6'8". Paper pushing. <laughs> bank teller. Talk bank teller, yeah. Hello, quick. In I help, help you with today? In training, for <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, they, they gave me a little role at the bank. And, man, I did it every day, but I just had to I had to stay focused. You know what I'm saying? I had to go work out before and after. And, uh, like I said, man, your family, if they don't see anything coming from your dreams like or, or your goals – then they're going to be kind of standoffish. Like, they can support and have your back, but at the end of the day, it's going to be up to you. When you were at the Bank of Bartlett serving up them $100 bills and Crispy Boys, did anybody recognize you? Like, yo, you Farrakhan Hall. Definitely, definitely. Uh, it was crazy. I got the job just being at University of Memphis alone. Uh, the guy who owned the bank, his name's Harold Beard, uh, he was the one who gave me a job, and he's an alumni too. 
And so everybody at the bank knew, like, I was a Memphis alum. And then I, they also knew that I wanted to play basketball. So I was there, but I wouldn't be out front like that. Like, I didn't mm. get – like, it takes time to become a teller. Okay. Like, that's a skill. <laughs> Count that money or like that. Like, no, nah, I was in the back, like, logging in. Uh, data entry or yeah, something. Yeah, data entry. Okay. Exactly. Like, that's all, that's all I was doing. Really back there watching YouTube, <laughs> Jay-Z videos. <laughs> The owner being a Memphis alum, I guess that gave you the flexibility to still work on your game until yeah. you got until you got that next opportunity. Yeah, definitely it did, and and it took me about, I think about four months, four or five months until I got another call to go play in um, to go play in uh, what was the next place I went to play? Japan, I think. No, after Denmark, I went to back to Europe. It was uh, Prague and uh, Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Yeah, so I was in Czech Republic. And man, when Ooh, I say got that three times fast, <laughs> <laughs> so so when I got there, it was crazy. I got off the plane, man, and we were going to uh, going to the gym to go practice, but it was like a two hour drive from the airport. And you know, out there, it's like it's one way roads. It's like you know, what I'm saying one car going, one car coming. And man, we in the car, and the driver he was driving so fast, he had to be <laughs> he'd be doing like two hundred. So I'm in there. I'm talking. I'm just praying. I'm like, man, please just give me to this. Give me to the gym. And so I, it was so bad. That I just had to go to sleep. Like wow. I closed my eyes, forced myself to sleep. I woke up, and when I got to the gym, all my about to be teammates were outside crying because three of my teammates had just died in a car accident on the Damn. same road from going too fast, running into a tree. Wow. So it was like, man, this is too crazy. That was your first experience with your team. That's my first experience with the team, and I stuck with that team for the rest of the year. You know what I mean? But it was a real, like, that was a grind. And that's the thing that, like, young guys don't really realize. Like, I know guys that have had opportunities to go somewhere, and they making, you know what I'm saying, some good money, but it's in a terrible situation. And it's just like they quit. You know what I'm saying? They come back, but I couldn't quit. You know what I mean? Like I was in a one bed, like a, a small studio room, like smaller than this room, and I'm just going in there every day. I might go play 2K, and I'm back to the gym. You know, we practice twice a day. You get, uh, you get a meal uh, for free, and you get access to the weight room. So it was like boot camp. I'm over there, and I'm, I had to get my game right. So once I finished up with that season, which was really tough, you know, I finished up with that season. I come back, and I go, uh, I go play with the Grizzlies in the summertime. And I'm working out with them, and they say they want me on their G League team. Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road. And hit that subscribe, follow, semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week your eardrum is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. Coming back, you on back then it was the the not the D League. That was a was it NBDL or was it the D League then? Yeah, it was the D League. Okay, the D yeah. League. So you get the chance to come back from overseas, your first our first taste of quote unquote the NBA, mm-hmm. you know, life. Tell me about how the D League, G League has evolved from then to now. Man, it's so much different now. I mean, and it's just really it's the it's the care for the players, the care for, you know what I'm saying how much work they put into making sure that the guys are developing their bodies and really giving the care, you know what I mean? The food and the coaches definitely wanted us to be better players, but like I, I would say that there were a lot more veteran players in the league 
in the, in the G League and I mean in the, in the D League, and it was like the style of play, just with everything, it was completely different, man. Like we didn't never lift weights. Hmm. We never lifted. Like you could go lift on your own, but it was never mandatory. But now here, with Windy City is mandatory. We have to get at least three week three lifts in a week, or they'll, they'll find us. So give the people out there who's listening who don't understand what it's like to be an NBA player versus an NBA G League player. Talk about some of the main differences people will hear <laughs> or see that you're under the NBA umbrella. You don't have the same, I guess, amenities that NBA I'm players I'm put have. it out there flat. I don't got it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't got it. But people probably always think that you do got it. No, nah, some people do. I mean, I mean, you know, you have some people that actually do their research and see, but... It's obvious. Listen, I don't have it like an NBA player does. I'm a, I'm a working class man that plays basketball. But um, I mean, other than that, man, it's it's a lot of different differences. They have things that I've never experienced, and that's one of the things that keeps me in it because I want to experience that. But you know, you're flying private everywhere you go, and we have to fly commercial everywhere. So back in the day, it used to be buses all the time. Huh? Back in the day, it was always buses. I rode 18 hours from Rio Grande Valley all the way to Iowa. Wow. Yeah, so it's different now. Like now we don't have to we don't have to do TSA. Uh we we just walk right past. Mm. You know, what I mean? so it's 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 a different time, but the NBA, man, it's another lifestyle. I can't even I don't know. <laughs> I can't explain it to you. I know that those guys live well. Back then when you first came into the the mm-hmm. D League versus the salary that there was like a C a, a C yeah. salary, a B salary, yeah. A salary. Yeah. And now with the new collective bargain agreement, the salaries are different. You know, yeah. kind of talk about not without getting to your own personal situation, but talk about how the salaries have changed for the better. Yeah, so it was a big deal, man. Back when I was when I first came into it, they were giving, like you said, they were giving out A, B, or C contracts. The A contracts were coming in for the like the guys who had great college careers, or they were former NBA players, stuff like that. So that was only like twenty four thousand. That was for the A. That was for the A. I thought that was a C. No. Oh my. Twenty four thousand. Then the B was like, I think somewhere between like eight, nineteen to twenty. Then no, no, the B. Yeah, that's the B. Then the C was like sixteen. So when I came into the G League, that's what I got. You got a C. <laughs> I got the C. <laughs> I had the C contract, but guess what though? That was my first time really making money, and it's like I got a little bread. I'm good. Hey, what you bought the little C contract? What you splurge on? Going to the club, trying to act like I'm in the league. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, but but it make you it makes you be real smart because once they first once that check runs out, you know you done. You don't have any more money, so you have to be real smart. You got to budget, man. And if you want to eat right, you got to go to the grocery store. And, you know, just just really make your way so that you can you can make it through it. You know, I mean, and then don't have bills and have things to take care of. That's a whole nother level. So. I learned over the time, and the way that I've been able to survive in the G League for so long is because I learned how to get extra income outside of the G League. What uh, what about the housing situation? Most people don't know about what the difference between the NBA and the G League as far as the housing is concerned. You know, talk to people about that. Yeah, it's many. I mean, obviously, NBA players make millions of dollars. They go home to their own homes. They go separate ways when when it's done. We typically live in. You know what I'm saying? Maybe three-man units. We have townhomes here where we have three guys per unit. Some guys get their own apartments. Last year I had my own. This year I'm with uh, two other guys that I, I was on the team with last year. So for most G League teams, guys share apartments. And that's uh, 
that's different. You know what I mean? In professional sports, we all grown men. You would expect for us to be able to have our own space. But we're actually uh, forming a union in the G League now. Oh, wow, really? To be able to, you know what I'm saying, change some of those things. And that's actually a big thing, uh, being able to have better amenities as far as living uh, living conditions. And, you know, it's so much money in the league, uh, so much money the league pours into the G League that they can possibly afford to, for us to have our own space. Uh, so that's a big thing, but it's been worked on. The team provides y'all meals and transportation to and from practice, all that stuff. How's that work? No, so, well, now we have a uh, – now we have a um, – a collaboration with Lyft. Lyft gives us a hundred dollars credit per month. Wow. Yeah. So we basically will get to be able to use that credit up for the month. And that's, that's, a month. that's, that's a, some type of that seems like that run out like in a week if you're going what? to and from practice every day and yeah, go to grocery store and stuff like that. That's, and that's another thing that we brought up with the whole union. Um just telling them that that's not enough. You know what I mean? Like in order to get from my apartment up to the uh to our practice arena it's twenty dollars a trip mm. you know that's not gonna last for a month that's gonna give me three days if I really go there and back but um just working on those things for guys for the future man and and that's important but uh transportation they always pick us up sometimes they pick us up in buses when we're going on trips like if we're going to the airport they'll pick us up in a, a team bus and then they take us there um and then as far as the meals are concerned we get per diem uh it's basically like fifteen dollars per meal. Okay. Yeah, you know I mean, I know that NBA per diem is what I, I think when I was in the NBA last time, I think the NBA per diem was like a hundred and thirty-five dollars <laughs> a day or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that per diem. I think it's like one fifty now, but yeah, they got they got great per diem. I'm I'm seeing when the guys come down and they have to play with us, I'm seeing them get thousand dollar checks. while I got one thirty-five, <laughs> <laughs> one twenty. So you know, it is what it is. Talk about the the style of play. Uh, most people don't know that if you're, for example, like you're on the Windy City Bulls, you're in the same you know locale as the Chicago Bulls. You run the same type of mm-hmm. offense, defense, the same type of situation. In case you get called up, you have to know the same terminologies. Mm-hmm. How has that changed or been the same since you know yeah. back in the day and towards now? So back in the day, there weren't so many affiliate teams. Teams weren't directly connected to the the mother team. Now today you have like the Windy City Bulls and you have like the Hustle who are connected to the Grizzlies. So their staff takes everything that they do from the um, from the mother club in. We're really fortunate because we get to play NBA basketball. You know what I mean? Maybe at a lower level, level athletically and even IQ-wise, but we're learning how they play as well. You know, all of the terminology, whether it's on ball screens or even in on the offensive side, just trying to do everything. So... Like what the Chicago Bulls have to do, we have to do. Or whatever team, you know what I mean? Like if you if you play for the Warriors, you know, I played for the uh, Santa Cruz Warriors before, and at the time we ran the same type of offenses as them. And so we, who, was you, who was you? You were Draymond or who was you? Yeah, I was a Draymond that could shoot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like you, all the teams are – I guess they try to make it up like how those teams are. So we're really – we're really uh, pick and roll heavy, just like the Bulls are, and you know they feature Zach Levine a lot, and we have guys. We have a guy on our team who we who's the ball's in his hands a lot of the time. But you know it just depends on the coaches where how much leash he has. Can he deviate from what the Bulls do? Can mm. we kind of do our own thing and fit our own personnel? It just depends. But right now with our team, 
we definitely do exactly what they do. <laughs> From garden to ball screens, you have to go up and hedge all the way. I see it all the time when people complain about the way that the Bulls have to guard or the way that they defend or whatever. But we have the number one defense in the G League. Wow. And that, that's just something to say. You right. know what I mean? Like, the G League isn't known for playing defense. Right. So we hold teams to 89 points a game. You know what I mean? In the G League, you can get up there with teams average 120, 130 points a game. So we play D. I think that one of the misnomers about the G League is that guys just want to get their own stats. Like mm-hmm. it's individual. Like everybody trying to get called up. Everybody just want their own. Yeah. What's your thought process on, like, for people who say that? It's, I mean, that's a very big misconception, but that's how a lot of the players think. You know what I mean? Most of the time it's the guys who don't really move that way. It's the guys who average 10, 11 points, you know, and they go in and they just play their role very well. You know, they crash the boards every time. They get back on defense. They talk uh, to sound players because when you go up to the NBA – at the end of the day, they're not looking for you to average 20, 30 points. They want you to come in and be solid for whatever, how many, however many minutes, and get on out the game, sit down. You know what I mean? You got to be a great role guy. You got to be a great character guy on the bench, um, being someone that's always in tune with the game and everything like that. So that's the biggest misconception. Like a lot of times you got guys that are like, come on, I, I got to get mine. But really – you don't look good doing that <laughs> if you can't do it within the system. You right, know what I mean? right. That's not going to get you that call up. Yeah, it's not going to get you that call up. But hey, I can say that I've seen guys get called up. I've never been called up myself, and I try to stick to the system 100%. <laughs> so, you know, it just depends. You got you to gotta get off. You got to do what you got to do. You've played for three different organizations the Iowa Wolves, that was a Minnesota mm-hmm. affiliate. Like you mentioned, Santa Cruz Warriors, which is the Gold State Warriors affiliate. Mm-hmm. And now with the Windy City Bulls, Chicago Bulls affiliate, yeah. your situation is the only one that's as close as far as locale to your mother team. What's the difference between being so close to the Bulls versus the other place you've been where the, the mother team is maybe a little bit further away? Yeah, it's, it's a huge difference. Man. It kind of makes us feel like we're a part of it, a part of them, especially with the new two-way rule. So, like, we always have a guy going over and playing with them, or we may have one of, some of them come and practice with us whenever they – don't know uh, whenever they are coming back from injury or they're not getting a lot of playing time. I mean, it's different. You know, it gives us a feel that that we're a part of it, but and that you're you have a you got a window like you might get called up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I see a guy like Wendell Carter go down, then Laurie Markinen goes down. Mm. Now you got Thad playing all these minutes, and I'm just in my mind like, man, I know they got to give me a chance. <laughs> but you know, you have to put that pressure on them, man, and play well. So. That's that's the most of the thing. Like they have to see it because their guys are here. You know what I'm saying? They come to the game, so they they have to. You know what I'm saying? To 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 see that you're playing and that you're playing well. So it it seems like a better opportunity. I was going to ask you that question. Being as other places you've been, do the NBA personnel you don't see them as much because you're so far away, or you see them often? Nah, you definitely are going to see those guys. Uh, depending on the time of the season, depending on where you where where y'all are at in the season. Um, you're going to see guys, especially like before the All-Star break when they're getting ready to make cuts and like that. Like if guys aren't playing, getting playing time and then if a, if, a, if a dude's not getting playing time and he may be in his first contract in his first three years, then he's going to come down. You know what I mean? And and that's where it gets tricky because those guys, when they come, they're going to get all the minutes. Mm. Then your whole situation gets messed up. Mm. You know what I mean? Because you want to play too, but this guy, he guaranteed 32 minutes. That just mess up the whole chemistry, or it doesn't mess up the chemistry. Like we have to adjust, 
not that it messes it up. It more so is like it's just another monkey wrench, bro. You got to get with it. You know, you got to accept what it is. So for me, when I have a guy come down that plays my position, I just prepare myself to be ready to play whatever minutes I get. And I know I got to shoot to get mines. You know what I'm saying? Not just get mines, but to, like, make an impact on the game. You know what I'm saying? For my team, like, so that they can know, like, I got, I have worth for our team. End of the day. That's what it's about. One thing that I think that the – the G League does very well is the the showcase they do like midway through the season mm-hmm. where y'all able to go to one central location as the whole league and basically every GM every management every management person can see you all play at one specific time. You know what? It, what's your thoughts on how that's grown over the years as well? Yeah, it's it's been awesome since the first time I ever did it. They've changed it now where we go to Las Vegas and it's in one one it's uh it's in, it's in Vegas and it's been there for the past two years, but. The couple years before, it was in different locations. And one time it was in Toronto, another time it was in Santa Cruz. So either time, all the GMs are there, all the GMs and all type of personnel from the around the league. So it's just like, man, you know you in there and you know they watching you. So it's, just, it's one of them where you got to show up, show out. Any GMs come up to you like, man, I'd love to have you on our team and then be like, sign me. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of talk. And, you know, you get a lot of talk, especially in passing. They almost give you the uncomfortable talk, like, hey, I love you, Gary. Like, come on, man. Call my agent. <laughs> I know that's who you want to deal with. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it's like it's it's probably one of the best opportunities you have to be seen. But any it doesn't matter. Like, they're going to see you regardless. But the showcases, they bring all the talent is there, and it's just all in one place. So, yeah. Have you ever turned down some some money or turned down a contract where you was like, man, I shouldn't have did that for this opportunity looking back on it? I don't regret anything, but I have definitely turned down money. I turned down money this season. And with me, I'm not – when it comes to basketball in this situation, I'm not money motivated. Um, it's purely passion. I love the – I love the chase of, like, executing my goal. When I was playing overseas and I was over there in Czech Republic and I'm walking through the snow two miles every day, my teammate passing me by, you know what I'm saying? As I'm walking, I was like, man, I got to make it to the league. Like, that's what I want to do. And I've been at the bottom of the bottom where people looking at me like nothing. So I'm like, I'm fine with it. And the money part of it is, man, that's, that's cool. I work hard. I make money outside of basketball as well. So I don't really, I'm not really stressed about it. Well, what kind of advice would you give uh, Farrakhan Hall of 10 years ago coming out, being one of those potential undrafted kind of guys who's on the fence about coming into today's G League versus maybe going overseas like a Denmark or Czech Republic? What kind of advice would you give you? 10 years ago, I mean, or whatever it was, I would definitely just tell myself, man, don't be so hard on myself. It's a process. Every guy who's playing at this level or even in the NBA level, they have gone through the same process as you. They've been the last guy on the bench or they've had a tough time as a player. All you have to do is stay consistent. You know, stay consistent. You're going to get better. And it's going to fall into place if you let it. Just stay focused. Don't try to do too much at one time. You know what I mean? Don't be, you know what I mean, when it's off season, just stick to the – put the first thing first like uh, LeBron says, man. Put the first thing first. If you love basketball the way that you say you do – Farrakhan, younger Farrakhan, stick to that. You feel what I'm saying? Don't don't cut grass. <laughs> don't do all the extra stuff. It's just, man, just stick to what you're doing because you get better every time you stick to it. 
And that's just it. What kind of stories have you heard from dudes on your team right now about some money they done turned down or Dan that wish they had a better agent or mm-hmm. you know, anything like that? What kind of stories can you give us? I can give you all types of stories. I'm going to tell you one of the biggest things. A lot of dudes lie. <laughs> a lot of dudes will straight up lie, like just telling you that they, man, I got an offer for 400000 to go to China. It's like, bro, you ain't get offered to China. Because like, you would be in China right now. Exactly. Like, who's turning that down? Ain't nobody turning it Come on. Down. So, I mean, you, but that's just wishful thinking. You know what I'm saying? It's just somebody wanting to live. I can't I can't get mad at them for, you know what I'm saying, fabricating their story. <laughs> but that's not my style. But I have guys who, you know what I'm saying, they may hear something from their agent and they think – like they wanted to lead to something, so they they get so excited they're sharing it mm. with the squad. Or mid season in the G League, you always hear a guy saying that he's gonna go overseas somewhere. But boom, then we gotta think about the fifty thousand dollar buyout. Mm. That's the G League, you know what I'm saying? So a team has to pay fifty thousand to get you out. Then you can get your money. So how much money are you really making? Right. You know what I'm saying? Overseas contracts, especially in Europe, they're not that great. I mean, depending on where you go. That you like a Euro League Division One or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Euro like, Cup or something. Not, like that. not very many people are making like millions. You know what I'm saying? You can make some hundred thousands and stuff like that. But and yeah, I, I, I think it's possible. Um, I turned down a little bit of money, but you know, I go after what I love. Speaking of what you love, I know you love seeing your fellow Memphis guys that's currently in the G League thriving. You got guys like uh, Mark Hill Crawford, Rainier Thornton. Deidre Lawson, and I know you had to be really ecstatic about the current, the, the most recent news with Jeremiah Martin mm-hmm. getting the two-way contract uh, to the Nets. How does that make you feel, you know, seeing your Memphis Tigers uh, brethren get these kind of opportunities? Man, it's awesome. You know, all of those guys are like the little bros. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm older than all of them, so they kind of <laughs> look at me like I see them, and when I see them like we going to a game or something, it's like they just straighten up. <laughs> <laughs> Like I love them, but they are, they don't like they look at me like because everybody knows like the hard work da da da. So I think they kind of like just straighten up and they show me their focus. You know what I'm saying? So Jeremiah, anytime I talk to him, I'm like, "That's a silly dude." I know he is, but automatically like, "I got you, big bro." That type of thing. Markel, like Markel, um, RP two times. Like his brother passed away, but he's still been able to focus and and, and stay into what he's trying to do out there with uh, Agua Caliente, Diedrich. I love seeing him do well with the Spurs uh, and all the other guys from around the, from around the G League, man. And, and it's been more in my whole time of being here. You know what I'm saying? It was like when I first came into it, it was like we had our own like little fraternity. Mm. Like every time we go play somewhere, I see a dude play from, from Memphis. It's like, man, we need a handshake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and, and, and other guys respect that. They like every time – when I holler at somebody from Memphis, they like, hey, I got a lot of dudes like from, from Memphis. You wouldn't even think that. Mm-hmm. People don't even recognize Memphis as a basketball city, which is crazy to me. But, you know, that's how it is. We have a lot of hoopers, though. What them summer pickup games like at, at, <laughs> in Memphis? We definitely got – it's pretty interesting, man. We got some hood legends, and then we got the guys <laughs> We got the guys who, who play professionally uh, everywhere. But, it, man, it's super competitive. You know, we, we go at it. Uh, we love to get get us versus another city. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. Like, like a TBT type situation? Yeah, TBT type situation, but more like how we had a pro-ams and we, we, we come together, we have a pro-am and, and we maybe play against a champion from another city. Like mm. Chicago, like they got good basketball. They really think that they, they're really good, but I think we could get up with 
anybody. I'm trying to figure out who would be on the like the Memphis TBT or like a uh any, like a, a specialty travel squad. Like who would be yeah. who who's a all right, here we go. Here's a great question. Who would be the top five all time Memphis born basketball players, starting five for you? All time. All time. All right. Starting five for me. Ooh, that's tough. Hey, that's that's we gotta ask tough questions. <laughs> At the one and two, I'm gonna go Joe Jackson and Penny Hardaway. All right. Um, I'm young, man. For the for the older guys, just anybody. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But I really like Todd Day's game. Ooh, okay. I, I like Todd Day a lot. Penny Hardaway, come on, like that's a, you know what I mean. And then Joe was one of the best players I ever seen. I played with him. But I saw it every single day. I was like, this little dude was so cold. Like, he was chopping people up. His jumper was cash, and he just had so much bounce. Like, he made me he made me a better player. He just made me focus on better. So then I would have to say Thaddeus Young. I'm definitely throwing myself in there always. Okay. That's five right there. Who the sixth man then? Um, but I wouldn't throw myself in the in the, in the first. No, you I would throw, throw yourself in there. If I was gonna throw myself in there, I th- I knock that out, and I won't I won't parse <laughs> with that. <laughs> but five would be Tariq Black. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's one of the best big men we we had come through. And he's a lot better than he got to show in the NBA. Because of the times and, and the way that things changed, he didn't really get post up plays. He just had to set screens and roll. He's super athletic. You know, he got a good game. The way this game was he was playing with James Harden. You know, he was playing with Kobe. So, you know what I mean? But those are just some of the guys. Some of the guys I looked up to. Sean Williams was really good. He was a great, 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 great prospect. And then we got so many guys who, like, nobody would ever know. They never got an opportunity. They never made it. Like, but my, like my boy Jeremy Hunt. and them Jeremy talking. Hunt. That's another dude. Shoot the cover off the ball. You know what I'm saying? University of Memphis, legend. We got a lot of guys like that, man. As you start to wind down your career, however many more years you have left, you know, what are some opportunities that you see yourself doing? You already talked about some stuff you're doing on the side. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you see Farrakhan Hall doing whenever the ball stops bouncing? Whenever the ball stops bouncing, man, I I, I want to be my own. You know, it sounds cliche, but I want to be my own boss for sure. Um, in in a, in a certain sense, I I would like to have my own organization to help single parent homes and empowering young women and the youth really, just to financial like understanding financial literacy and all type of things like that that's more on the I guess we say philanthropy side of things for myself I, I would like to get into scouting I don't think I want to be a coach mm-hmm. that's too stressful right but I would love to, to go out and, and scout players you know what I'm saying for different NBA or NBA team or whatever so I got great ties with the the Bulls connect connection. have you already started doing any of those type of things or talking about those things with the connections with the Bulls like yeah. are you playing those seeds yeah, I'm definitely playing those seeds. Like I said, I got a great relationship. That's why I'm back here. Uh, they don't really accept older guys to come back and play with the guys. Right, right. But the reason why I'm here is because I have such a good connection with them. And going forward, man, if there's a position that opens up, you know, where I can help the uh, the organization, then yeah, I would I would love to be a part of it. The six eight intern, six eight intern <laughs> for a little second. Then man, they're gonna bump me up. <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. definitely see that though with your personality, your love for the game. Um, I always come to your games and support you. Obviously, you're giving the knowledge to the young cats that's out there who may just be coming into the league or may be stressed out about playing time or whatever. So I just want to commend you, you know, I appreciate for it. being a, the OG in the game, yeah. you know. I appreciate it. I'm glad I made it, man. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm glad I made it. Well, yeah. you, know, you still got another chapter to write. You still got plenty more chapters in this book that's yet to be written. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you, my brother, for coming on the No Referees podcast here tonight, sharing some of your stories, Memphis stories, G League, D League stories, <laughs> all the stuff that people uh, may want to hear or people may not know about. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's been it's been a good one, man. Y'all stay on the lookout. You know, follow me on Instagram at underscore Farrakhan, F-E-R-A-K-O-H-N. Uh, you can follow my uh, business page at Empress Hair. Uh, and, man, we're going to keep on going up. All right, that's Farrakhan. I appreciate you, my brother. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.